what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how's it going? Uh, it's going going well. I am uh, looking forward to, we are delving into a new way of putting out our podcast. So I'm uh, looking forward to the updated format, new and improved. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> trying trying up a little change of format here. We used to get together and we'd review a couple films at a time and pack in a lot of other things. We're, uh, we're going to, but those were also only coming out twice a month. So right. now we're like, well. The clamoring we got from people <laughs> saying, look, I can't, I got to have my fix of foot candle discussion every week. They miss us. We hear you. Yeah. We hear you. So what we're doing is we're just going to focus every episode on one film that we're going to review, but we're going to have stuff coming out every week because of that. So that's going to be nice. And, uh, still the same number of films we're reviewing in a month in the same kind of content, just spread out over four weeks instead of every two weeks. So people can kind of count on it on a weekly basis knowing you're going to get your your little fix of the the glorious voices of me and Chris Fry here talking about movies <laughs> with you. Right. But uh so let's go ahead and jump right into what we're going to do for this week. So this week's episode, we are talking about the latest animated sensation uh chronicling the life of a certain wall crawler named Spider-Man. This one is Spider-Man: colon, Across the Spider-Verse. We're going to discuss that film, our review of that film, and then we'll also dig into a little bit of movie news this week. We got a couple of uh, news items I wanted to share with you, Chris, about some interesting developments in the film world. Both of these having to do with directors that I think are of interest to discuss and at least explore what they're working on now. So that's what we'll do during our news section. So, Chris, are you ready to jump right into our review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? Yes, let's do it. All right, here we go. My name is Miles Morales. I'm Brooklyn's one and only Spider-Man. And things are going great. Oh, yeah. You were supposed to be her five. All right, whatever. Whatever? Wow. Whatever? So are you like a cow or a Dalmatian? I am the spot. <laughs> Miles Morales, voiced by Shamik Moore, returns for the next chapter of the Oscar-winning Spider-Verse saga, an epic adventure that will transport Brooklyn's full-time, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man across the multiverse to join forces with Gwen Stacy, who's voiced by Haley Steinfeld, and a new team of Spider-People to face off with a villain more powerful than anything they have ever encountered. Alan, considering that premise and the fact that we have had multiverse and quantum versus quantum realms, I guess I should say, all these different um, takes on how the universe is put together. We've already seen into the Spider-Verse, which had this, how did this follow-up going across the Spider-Verse work for you? Did you find it entertaining or did you find it exhausting? 
Um, I'm always, I found it entertaining. Okay. I, so just to go ahead and kind of button up your first question there. Um, surprisingly, I did not find it exhausting. I found Into the Spider-Verse, as much as I did appreciate that film and I enjoyed it and it's a great film, I did find it exhausting. I found it overwhelming. I found it kind of tough for me to really completely enjoy because I just felt like I was, I, I felt bombarded throughout that first film. Now, this film, you would think a sequel, longer running time and more characters, that it would actually be more overwhelming for someone like me. It actually wasn't. I actually felt like this was... I don't know, maybe maybe my brain was already kind of rewired to appreciate this film now after being kind of exposed to the first one. But I actually found this to be very enjoyable. I did enjoy it. I'm going to say I liked it better than Into the Spider-Verse, but that's just because I still am wrestling with my feelings on that first movie. I, I think as I talked about Into the Spider-Verse, the first one, during our review, I made mention about how this is not the type of film or story that I like for this character to be involved in. We've had a lot of Spider-Man movies over the years. I am a big Spider-Man fan. I've, you know, read the comics since I was a kid. I'm, I'm in deep in that world. This whole Spider-Verse thing is not my cup of tea. Okay. I'm just not a fan of it. Not a fan of the whole multiple worlds and multiple incarnations of the same character. So that's why you're more, I, of a, you're more of a one at a time Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a traditional. I'm a traditional Spider-Man guy. Gotcha. I'm like, you know, give me a guy who's just swinging around Queens and, and Brooklyn and help or Queens and helping save people and fighting crazy looking bad guys. That, that's it. I'm good. I'm good with that. So the whole Spider-Verse thing, well, I always thought was very exhausting. I didn't like it in the comics back gotcha. when I was reading it. Don't like it in the movies as much. <laughs> However, I will say, I think this movie won me over on it. I was able to kind of let go and appreciate the film, the story it was trying to tell for what it was. And it actually worked for me. Um, But look, all this would be a moot point if it wasn't for the craftsmanship involved in making this film. Okay. I could, the way when you just described that, that synopsis of the film, Mm -hmm. if I had not seen any visuals from this film, if I hadn't heard any of the voice acting, if I hadn't heard any of the, seen any of the artistry done in making this film, I would have said, Oh my God, that sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So I do not want to see this movie. Okay. But especially after having seen the first one. Right. Yeah. But seeing and knowing what all is involved to make this film such an experience that it is. It's the animation. It is the voice acting, which I think is very good. It is uh, the storytelling devices. I think even amidst the fact that it's a giant animated, eclectic animation film, there's some really great storytelling devices being used throughout the film to really carry the story and make it work. So there's just a lot of artistry involved in making this film work. And I appreciated it a lot more than I think I ever did before with this particular film. Um, I do have some issues uh, we can get to in a little bit, but overall I'm going to say I'm very positive on the film. I liked it. Uh, I'm probably in the minority of saying that I liked it a little more than the first one, but, um, I did enjoy it with a couple of big misgivings that I'll discuss in a little bit. Chris, <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts though. What did you think of across the spider verse? Got you. So I think I going into this film, was excited just because I really liked the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have, I know who Spider-Man is, but I didn't have any of the qualms about the whole 
like Spider-Verse You were okay thing. going in kind of for a fresh new take on how this whole character was being defined. And right. Like and back when this happened, I wasn't kind of beleaguered by multiverse or like multiple possibilities and all that. I wasn't worn out by that. Uh, now I kind of am. However, this film worked for me. And mm. I think a lot of it just has to do with, like you're saying, the innovative style and the voice works really good. Um, and I feel like what I was kind of impressed by too is Yes, you know, a lot of people threw the words groundbreaking and all that at the one that won the Oscar. This one comes out, and I'm kind of expecting it more or less to be, yeah, kind of the the same type thing, I mean, a little different. But I was impressed with how much further they even tried to, like, take the film. Like, they were like, okay, and now we're going to try to go a step further. When they didn't really need to, they could have just kind of sat back and relaxed and just kind of done the same thing again. But they didn't. Um, I found it. Whereas I don't think I found, I was so excited by the first one. This one, I kind of knew what I was getting into, but it did overwhelm me at times. Mm-hmm. But it never, once I kind of, like once after the first, let's say, this, as you mentioned, this film is two hours and 20 minutes long. After about the first 30 minutes or so, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more on the film's wavelength. You, you've recalibrated your brain <laughs> right, to so now like, be on okay. the, the movie's wavelength. <laughs> right, yeah. and like... And basically, I think it it challenges the audience because there's so much flying at you (laughs) that it's kind of hard to catch everything. But the thing is, you can trust the filmmakers. You don't really have to. Right. I think what I look forward to is seeing this film another time and maybe catching some references or some things that make the story, not that it didn't work well, but maybe work even better because I'm able to not be so distracted by everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, So I... Well, you, I you brought up a good point. I, I, I think it takes some it takes some real skill to have so much thrown at the audience, so much showing up, so much popping in the screen, so many things happening, but never feel. But by the end of the film, you still have told a story that you can follow. And I, I, you're right; you, you've kind of trained the audience over time to like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, but. Here's here's what just to pay attention to. Here's what to focus on. Here's what's important out of this. All the rest is fun. All the rest is there visually to kind of bring move us forward, but it's not going to impact your enjoyment of the core story we're trying to tell. That's some real skill there, you know, because you've seen I've seen it not go that way with other films <laughs> and other filmmakers. Here, uh, there, there's just some real talent involved in making these films. I, I, I will say that. I, I think there's just some top to bottom real talent and making a really uh, one of the most artistically talented films that I think we've, we, we've been able to see in a while. So I'll say too, um, something that I think pleasantly surprised me, but it did, did throw me off um, a little bit was going into the film. There's a lot of screen. I would not have expected this. There's a lot of screen time given to spider Gwen, Gwen Stacy. Yeah. And um, I wasn't, expecting that so much mm-hmm. so that she's kind of a, a co-lead with mm-hmm. miles Morales. And I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, she was in the first film, but it was kind of like, I don't want to say sidekick cause that does a disservice to her. But in this one, it was like, they were, they were equal. And yeah. I was really kind of, kind of surprised, but thought that was cool. But even, um, I feel like a lot of our listeners may have seen this. It's not spoiling anything, but it kind of the way the film starts and then it kind of has a reset and then focuses on miles. And that, that blew me away. I feel, feel like that's pretty daring for something like yep. this to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, 
No, I think, you know, this film introduced a lot of new characters and I, the fear I had going in, it was just going to be character overload. <laughs> and I mean, right. look, there were a lot of characters there introduced, are. but again, done in a way that you kind of got to know which characters you are really there to help move the story forward and which ones are there just for fun, which ones are there for a laugh, which ones are there to just, you know, visually spice up the screen. And it's all worked at the end of the day. Um, uh, I'll call out, we had a couple of new characters involved. Uh, Oscar Isaac playing what we all in the comic book world know is, is Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> He's Miguel O'Hara here in the movie, which is you know pretty accurate. He gets to play that as kind of a new character we get. We get uh, Issa Rae playing Jessica Drew, who's a version of Spider-Woman. Um, we got Daniel Kaluuya as Hobie Brown, who's also Spider-Punk in the movie. Again, a lot of characters thrown in, in addition to the ones you've already mentioned. Haley Steinfeld with Grim Stacy, uh, Shamik Moore as Miles Morales. We still have the parents, who I want to call them out because I think the acting... I love the performances of the two parents, of, of Miles's parents. Luna Lauren Velez as Rhea Morales, and then Brian Tree Henry as Jeff Morales. I think both just very good. Oscar-nominated um, Brian yeah, Tree Henry. that's right. <laughs> both just so good. I mean, just their characters, just so... So natural and so just warm. Good, good parents. Good people. Good characters. I, I, I love it. Um, and then with Jason Schwartzman as the Spot, you know, who, uh, yes, that is actually a character from the comics. Yes, there is a character named the Spot. Yes, he is about as pathetic as he is in the first half of the movie. Um, but uh, interesting, though. Visually, I think it was the right choice to make that the villain because it's so much you can play with with that that character's power set um yeah so good stuff all the way around uh andy samberg gets to play a character named ben riley who for people who are not familiar with the comics probably don't know who this is it's the scarlet spider is a version of spider-man you may have seen him in the movie he's the one that got a little screen time towards the latter half of the film following him always brooding always kind of uh Posing a very uh, superhero pose on the top of a building. He's got like a red hoodie looking thing on. Anyway, it's a whole long story. You don't want to get me started. <laughs> We're trying to make these episodes a little shorter, Chris. Sure, so I can't right. go into the whole history of Ben Riley. But those of you who are listening, if you know what I'm talking about, hit me up afterwards. We can geek out <laughs> about it. Okay. Um, so let me, but let me tell you a couple things. I do feel like there were some problems with the film. Okay. A couple issues I had. Curious to your thoughts on these as well. Um, I I understand the idea of sequels and, and movies that do build on previous movies, meaning if you don't see a previous movie, it's going to be very difficult to kind of absorb and understand a follow-up movie. I get that. It's sure. kind of the nature of sequels. It's the nature of franchises. It's all good. I do think this is a movie, just for, it's not really a negative. It's more of a understanding for audience. I think this type of movie, even more so, I don't know how you can truly appreciate it without having prior understanding, prior awareness and prior knowledge of either both into the spider verse or just comic superhero uh, tropes in general. You know, I mm -hmm. think there's a little bit of that too. I, I, I try to put myself in the, in the position of someone who did not see the first spider verse movie. Oh, I think if you didn't see the first one, you're, Probably yeah. out and of plus, luck. <laughs> maybe really doesn't spend any time with sure. the thoughts of you know, multiverses and all this other stuff. Going into Across the Spider-Verse, I, I don't know how you really 
get into this film at all. So I'm just putting that out there more as a warning to people who just you know think, oh, wow, it's a really visually interesting animated film. Yeah, it is. And if you go to watch it for the animation and the visual, you're going to be given a feast for the eyes. I just don't know how to comprehend the story if you don't have some of that prior, prior knowledge behind you. It's, again, it's not a negative because I know we're in a world now that we build on episodic storytelling with new franchises and movies. Sure. It's just a little bit of a shame that I do feel like there's some segment of the population that just can't go see this movie or shouldn't go see this movie without some prerequisites being checked off. And that's, that's a little tough. That's a little, that's a little disappointing. The other thing I'll say, um, the villain, you know, we'd had, I mentioned Jason Schwartzman as spot. Uh, it's kind of, kind of, the villain's kind of split into two roles. So don't, yeah, don't. Maybe I'm not. Spo- I'm not. I'm just. There's a transition that happens that I tries to change the tone of the film for the latter half of the film. Yeah, and it's it's a tough transition for me. I, I felt like it was a forced. It lost a lot of the spirit of the film that, that I think they had in the first half, which was really having kind of fun with this character, and then they change so, the character and make it. So, I don't know. It, it, yeah. I can't spoil it, but it, it, it was a little jarring to me, and I don't feel like it worked. Well, let me, yeah, let me kind of feed off because I overall, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I have a lot of good things to say about it. You know, it's it's probably a, a four star on Letterboxd, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But the things that kind of bothered me a little bit um, was I was so into the villain of Spot, as you mentioned, voiced by Jason Schwartzman. And it gave a little bit of origin, which I think maybe if you didn't see the film, that would help you. Still, I agree with you. You'd probably be lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I think things got a little overly complicated with the addition of another, and I'm using air quotes here, villain. But I guess in a film that dabbles with the multiverse, it's kind of to be expected that you can't just... I mean, I think a lot of films, sequels, like you think of all the superhero movies made. First superhero movie, you have one bad guy. Second superhero movie, you have two bad guys. And it's like they keep piling on and things get a little muddled and lost. Um, With this one, I really feel like they probably could have stuck with Spot, but they they kind of made another character come out against um, Spider-Man. So I I don't want to really ruin things. Right, okay. Adversary. Adversary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Differing I, opinions, shall yeah, we go. say. Yeah, good. Not, not going to go with a villain. <laughs> no. Well, I, that's why I said air quotes. Not, okay. but good, yeah. Good call. Got it. So, and I think something that I was not aware of because I forgot, and this isn't spoiling anything because there's been, I think people know that, and this definitely, don't worry, I'm not spoiling anything. But um, I was really bummed. And I felt like the reason they did kind of the, the air quote adversary, we'll say adversary. So he yeah. is adversary instead of villain. The reason that had to come into being was because they couldn't make this a standalone film. Um, I was one. I am one of those people that I did not know or did not remember. I should say I didn't remember this was part one. Oh, did you? Not? I did not. Oh. But because I did not see this opening day, I saw some stuff on Twitter, not reviews, but people just saying, uh, "Hello, why is this not labeled as like part one?" So I was like, "Oh, okay." So there's not a like they're really doing like a huge cliffhanger that. So I knew going in because I've been warned that, but I feel like, yeah, it's a shame that they couldn't have not just made this movie more spot focused and given that a final arc and then teased. Maybe this is what the third film is probably going to be about. But I just, and like you say, the transition between Mm. was a little, was a little rough. And I feel like 
that's what could have made this film maybe under two hours and then saved the other stuff for a third movie, which is going to be beyond the Spider-Verse. Beyond the Spider-Verse, yeah. So that, uh, that's a little bit of a misgiving. I knew about the it being a part one going in. Okay. I was still disappointed that it... A lot of times, okay, when films, they decide to do a, a part one, part two. Sure. You know, Instead which, of just making a sequel to the third. Right. Yeah. And I get that sometimes they leave on cliffhangers before they go to the part two. But normally the part one still have a relatively closed up story. And then there's just a open door to go to the next. That's one. what I, right. I'm this one agreed. doesn't do that. This one is not a full story. It, it isn't. And at there's over two, ways it could two have been hours. made a full story. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. There's ways it could have been a full story and still been an open doorway to a part two. This one didn't go, didn't take that, uh, didn't make that decision. It truly is. By the time we see the second film, you put it all together. It's going to be one story that honestly was cut right in the middle at a true cliffhanger moment. And um, now if we had to wait two to three years to see this next film, that would bother me a little more. Granted, it's it supposedly is coming out 2024, March, right? Okay. Which is only nine months away. Okay. It's not horrible, but right. still, I'm, I'm not a big fan of these whole part one, part two films. <laughs> I agree with you. It's like, make it a film and then just, you make another sequel to the film and you can have some little threads that kind of spread to the next film, but I still want to see a complete story. I still well, want to see a complete film. And kind of like, you know, let's just reference this. Um, the Infinity War stuff. Those two films, you had Infinity War and then you had Endgame. That did spam, but the way that was, I think everybody had a knowledge it was going to be a two-parter, but it's still, you can take that first one. Yeah. I mean, it's a real downer ending, yeah, but, it but it's an ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not the ending you wanted, right? but it was an ending. And it's like, if they had stopped making movies after that point, you could say, but there was an ending. It right. definitely ended. Right. So um, I think that's what you and I were kind of talking about. Yeah. Not that we say you can't do things that spam, but try to close things up so that it's not just making you feel a little cheated yeah. and something that worries me. But you know, there again, I like this film. I like the first one. I trust that they have enough narrative gas in the tank to oh, last yeah. for a whole third film. I think they do. But I kind of feel like, in a way they've kind of teased ahead and I'm like, yeah, I feel like they could wrap this up in another like 30 minutes. And then I feel like they'd just be spinning their wheels. Yeah. For that but I, you know, I, Look, I this trust is, them. Uh, there, there are different models in cases for films that have taken this approach. Um, I think, you know, some of them are very clear in saying part one in the title. So you've got the new mission impossible movie coming out this year where they've already <laughs> said it's part one. Don't give Tom Cruise any more press Alan. He's fine. Had, uh, the, the, <laughs> what the Harry Potter, deathly hollows uh-huh. did a part one, part two. Sure. Um, Dune was interesting in that Dune was marketed as Dune, but until you got into the movie grant, the very beginning of the movie, it flashed up on the screen part one. Right. And I think a lot of people who did not know it was going to be a part one, that was a surprise, <laughs> but at least you didn't get to the end of the film and expect it to be a complete film. Right. Um, this is the closest to, which is interesting because it's kind of dealing with some similar subject matter. The way back to the future was handled back to the future. One was a complete standalone movie, but it left open door to say, Oh, we could come back and explore this later. Right. Number two, very similar. Um, it did end abruptly, like 
in number two, if you recall, I don't know if you remember the way that Back to the Future 2 ended. I, I actually don't. I know what the third one was, yeah, but I can't remember. The DeLorean blows up, gets hit by lightning, and disintegrates, and you don't know where Doc Brown goes, and okay. Marty's left stranded in 1955, and all that. So it's like, it truly was a cliffhanger. And then they roll to a credit saying, oh, by the way, part three is coming like within a year. Got you. Okay. But that was still, you know, that's the closest equivalent to this. It's like people not knowing it truly ends on a cliffhanger and you're going to have to wait within six to 12 months to find Hmm. out the resolution. I'm not a fan of it, (laughs) but it'd be different. At least they're not telling us. I mean, Dune, there's like three years in between the two movies. This, at least it's going to be a matter of more months instead of years. So, um, so be it. Sure. Uh, but it's good. Fair warning for everybody also to understand. Don't expect this to be a complete story because it's not. And it's I think that that will help your enjoyment too. If you already, I knew before I went in the movie, but then I was irritated at the way they did it. But still, mm. I think it helps. It's kind of a fair warning. Be like, Hey guys, this is part one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, that probably would have been helpful to see as well. But you know, overall, I, uh, I, I'm still, I'm amazed by the artistry in this movie. I'm, I'm, I think the humor to drama balance was better even than the first movie. I felt the first movie at times it was the, there was a lot of humor. There's humor in both, both movies. I felt the humor and the drama balance was a little off on the first movie where like a little overbalanced with humor. maybe. Yeah. And a little goofier. It was like, they just threw in a lot more just random silly elements that were funny. This one, I mean, there's still a lot of humor and they brought in a lot, but Think about like in the opening 10 minutes, you know, Gwen Stacy and her father, the mm-hmm. scene that they have, which mm-hmm. is really good. Sure. You've got some other moments. You got a lot of uh, moments with uh, Miles and his family. Um, there are just a lot more dramatic moments. And I think it balanced the humor well. The humor was still there and it was still very funny. But um, I like the balance in this one a little bit better. So okay. I, it worked for me really well. Um, Since I've you know been saying misgivings or slight misgivings, even though overall I like the film, I will end on a positive note. And mm-hmm. this is kind of a, a fan service thing. Um, but it, I felt, I mean, I guess it's fan service, but it was done in a very kind of passing way. It wasn't distracting and it was just like a slight little blip and then gone. But there's a, I'll say a multiversified cameo of a character that was in the previous film played by a, uh, different actor and he's shown imprisoned in a web cell, that was a fun touch. Um, it's like a human, a human actor oh, in the yeah, midst yeah, of the yeah. animation. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say, but just that I thought that was, I thought that was cool. Well, the movie did um, break a lot more boundaries. It did, and interconnecting with other forms of this character in media than the even the previous one did. Right. Um, although it took me, I had to research a little bit. There was a moment I don't know if you recall earlier in the film. Spot is learning that he can now pop into other dimensions, other other multiverse universes, and he pops into one that is a live action okay world in a convenience store. Do you remember this? Yes. Okay. Yes. Did you know where that convenience store came from? Because I did not until I had to look it up afterwards. I, like it's a real. It's, it comes from one of the previous Spider-Man movies, right? No, mm, not really. Okay, a related film, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, that's fine. I, I don't want to spoil it for right. I, th- I think I. Okay, if it's it was not, a, it was a little deeper dive. But a previous MCU film. No. This is an MCU. Okay, then no, no I don't. Yeah. No. 
Yeah. I mean, related, but no, it's a previous Sony type film. So, um, I'll take okay. it yeah, you have to. I mean, I remember what you're talking about, but obviously not the reference that well, I needed to pick up. And then on. there were some images we saw of um, other Spider-Man movies, right? That were those were all Sony movies gotcha. that we saw the Spider-Man character played by some of the actors. So yeah, they definitely played with more of that. I think they were a little looser with the branching out to other forms of the media than maybe even they were in the first movie. So I liked it. I thought it was good. It kind of gave a cohesive feeling to everything that they've been doing with this character as a whole. So yeah, it was good. So I think we're both high on this movie wishing it was a standalone movie that had its own thing, but it had its own ending. But we also kind of knew that as on the onset. So we were, uh, but, but it's good fair warning for anybody who's going yeah. to see this. Be aware. A, sure. understand. We really feel like you should see the end of the Spider-Verse movie, <laughs> the first one. And secondly, understand this is a part one. And it very clearly is a part one. Um, now, will our opinion of this film change after we see the second one? Because obviously you kind of have to then bridge it as one big story. Um We'll see. But overall, I think this is a stand on its own merit. I thought very, very good movie. Yeah. Very enjoyable. Okay. So that is Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. It's doing uh, pretty good business right now. So it'll probably be around for a little while. Rated PG. Um, again, with those caveats we mentioned of kind of things you need to know about before you go into this, um, we both recommend you guys check it out. It's a, it's a fun movie. It's interesting. It's good. All right. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we've got some movie news to share. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. We had our review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse before the break. Both Chris and I are very positive on that. But let's talk about some uh, some news, some some uh, movie news, Chris. There's a couple projects that I wanted to bring up of interest. Both of these stories have to do with directors, uh, okay. specifically directors that I think have some interesting things going on right now. Um, one of these directors I did not know anything about, but I do know they're family history and connection, which makes it kind of interesting. Hmm. The other one, a little on the controversial side, we'll talk about him in a minute, but a a, a director that's had to be out of the, has been out of the business, uh, possibly rightfully so for a while, but some things that may be happening with this individual as they try to get back into um, the filmmaking world. Anyway, did I tease those well enough for you? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you know Steven Spielberg? Are you aware of Steven Spielberg? I've heard of him. Okay. Yes. Director, he's made a few films. Yes. Uh, most lately, he did the uh, the Fablemans. Yes. Uh, of course, Steven Spielberg, one of the best directors. Uh, I, I'm not saying uh, from a subjective standpoint. I'm saying quantity and quality output. Yes, I think we can all say one of the best directors in the last you know 30, 40 years. Sure. Um, he has a lot of children. I think he has. A fair number of children. Uh, Kate Capshaw is his current wife. And I think they have children together. Okay. Um, So I was kind of surprised when I was reading about some upcoming films that are are, uh, on their way out. And some of them are getting some attention at some other different uh, big festivals. There's a film coming out called uh, Don't Feed the Children. 
<laughs> it stars uh, Michelle Dockery, who you might know from Downton Abbey. Um, I am aware of the show, but still have never seen it. Okay. But okay. The film also is uh, just recently cast three young actors to its main cast. Um, are they uh, the children that are not supposed to be fed? Maybe. I don't, I, I <laughs> okay. don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the film's about to start shooting, but the film is directed by a Destry Allen Spielberg. Hmm. So it is a feature film debut by, and yes, this is the daughter of hmm. um, Steven Spielberg and Kate Capshaw. So this, uh, uh, this person, Destry, has been working on short films. So okay. they, she's had a short film that did play some good festival circuits and got a lot of attention. So now getting to make a uh, feature debut with Don't Feed the Children, I thought was very interesting. The storyline for the film is going to be that following the pandemic, okay. a group of orphans head south in search of a new life, only to find themselves at the mercy of a deranged woman harboring a dangerous secret. Whoa. So is a somewhat of a thriller is the understanding. Of course, I know it's early at this point. To, we don't know where everything's going to go with the film, but it does seem to be kind of in that direction. Um, so I uh, just wanted to kind of bring that up because I think that's interesting. I did not know Steven Spielberg had a offspring that was already in the directing field. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of I was not aware of that either. Yeah. Huh. But I think uh, exciting to see. I'm, I'm always curious when you have a, a really strong, well-known director and then you, you, know, you see what their, their children are able to do. Sure. Uh, I think it's when, great. What's the release for it? Oh, we don't know that yet. It's still under production right now. Oh, it's still now. under production. So, yeah, right. They, okay. yeah, they right, just right. Like, okay. started filming and all. So um, hmm. I'm looking back to see if there's anything else about this that I thought was of note to share. But I, I just, wonder, uh, like, t- with that premise – you could see it maybe being, yeah, it could either be a thriller or it could be like a kind of like a spin on um, like Escape from Witch Mountain or something where the th- three kids are banding together. It could be told as kind of like a in the vein of early Spielberg, kind of like an E.T. type thing, like a family type film, or it could be really dark and be a thriller. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'll be curious to see what role she takes like what, what, what kind of genre does she go down? Does she do kind of like a heartwarming, you know, children bonding together and they find a family or something or no, this is like dark. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. So from a directing standpoint, she's directed, um, uh, two short films. Okay. Let me go the right way is the one that got a lot of attention. I think got her kind of on the map. So okay. that was a short film that came out in 2022. She'd also done a film before that called Rosie, another short so now she's got Please uh, Don't Feed the Children. And then she has also got another film in development as a director, It's which I think this is kind of funny. It is titled, currently titled, Four Assassins, parentheses, and a Funeral. So um, kind of playing off the so four. So maybe, maybe seeming to go to the, the whole comedy route, maybe? I don't know. Or yeah. lighter route, maybe? Could be. Now, huh. she's also an actress. Okay. So she was actually, uh, she started a couple of her own short films, but she did have a uh, supporting role in Licorice Pizza um, as one of the uh, younger, younger uh, women in the film. I don't know. Her character's name was Frisbee Cahill. I don't recall the film, which character that was. Right. Sure. Yeah. So we actually have a Destry Allen Spielberg who is going to be entering feature film world alongside her father, Stephen. Um, 
I think it's exciting. Yeah, it's kind definitely. of fun. I'm, I'm always always curious to see what the films turn out to be like. I mean, we've had a little bit of that happening with Cronenberg uh, lately, with right. his son kind of being in the film world. Uh, um, gosh, who is it? The um, Ghostbusters. Uh, Reitman. Oh yeah, Ivan Reitman, then his son, now Jason Reitman, kind of taking on the reins for that too. It's always again, it's interesting and fun to see where this next generation go I'm, with. I'm going to so. have to scour the internet and see if I can find her two short films because I'd like to, mm-hmm. I'd like to see those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So that's one story I wanted to kind of bring up. I just thought of interest that I wasn't aware of. The other one, all right, and this is this is maybe a little touchy news item. Okay. And I, I'm going to try to handle this correctly because um, it, it's about Brian Singer. Okay. You remember Brian Singer, the director. Did some uh, X-Men movies. He was the one who started the X-Men franchise. He did. Before the um, MCU. That's right. Right. Did the film Apt Pupil. He did the film Valkyrie with uh, Tom Cruise. Okay. He did. Um, oh, and The Usual Suspects was like the big movie that brought and him that on was, the scene. That, that was, was like, before X-Men. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah that okay. was like his first big movie. I think it was his second film, but the one that was the one that got him all the attention. And he was, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the one that kind of directed Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> and then was taken off it. Yes. Correct. Okay. And so that Bohemian- was, that was kind of the. That was kind of what made yeah. him disappear. So Bohemian Rhapsody, he was the original director of that film. Uh, I suppose he halfway through, he basically got fired because he was uh, absent quite a bit, according to the studio. There was a, quote, erratic behavior on set with, uh, with crew and with people. So they fired him, replaced him with Dexter Fletcher, who finished making the film. Now, Dexter Fletcher, also within the next year, made the film Rocket Man, which is just to me that's just also interesting. I think Rocket Man is far superior a film from a musical biopic film than Bohemian Rhapsody is. But yet it's just odd that Bohemian Rhapsody was kind of got a, all the attention. Got all the attention, but also was a split movie between two directorial. We don't know which director, which, you know, kind of one in the end, where most of the stuff was coming from. I always find that so fascinating. Sure. But um now since he got fired there have been allegations uh, brought up against the singer about the uh, against Brian Singer for um, uh, sexual assault uh, against underage men and his, that he had relations with supposedly. A lot of that came up. Uh, singer has denied all of that mm-hmm. uh, all this time. Uh, some of the studio heads at one point stood by Singer, kind of supporting him, but then and tried to help him get back into making films, but they just couldn't find any distributors that really wanted to touch Brian Singer at that point. So they kind of let it all drop. Gotcha. So really he has moved to Israel. It's my understanding of what I'm reading. This is all according to a variety article talking about Brian Singer right now, but they are saying that he is in the midst of trying to uh, build back up some filmmaking work. And again, I say all this, look, if he's, if he's guilty of the things he was he was accused of, I, I I don't want him making films. He doesn't need to be entering that world. If he's True. not, and he's and I'm going to get to a second here in a second, he is trying to do a project that's hoping to exonerate him to some degree. And if that's true, and, and if those exonerations are true, then obviously I hope he has a chance to build back up. So we'll see hmm. with this. That's why I say this is all very touchy. I, I so his his about. next next project is one that's kind of a defense of that is a project coming up it's a documentary a self-financed documentary about himself 
Wow. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Uh, it's a documentary about himself and his struggles. Uh, one source who was approached about the project said that the pitch was impressive and that Singer plans to address the allegations of sexual misdeeds and cover his attempt at career resurrection. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's either. Yeah, that, yeah, that is, that is a really interesting yeah. um, thing. Uh, wow. That's bizarre. It's kind of like, I'm going to self-finance something to prove that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's also working on three narrative features that are set in and around Israel. Cause that's where he's been living in recent years. Uh, he's working without an agent meeting with investors about backing the films. They would all be fairly low budget, like $10 million a piece, which I mean, I mean, it's a lot of money, but sure. low budget for what he's compared to you doing. Um, and he's got some producers lined up to help him out to try to make those films. But the documentary would be a self-financed documentary that, and he's, um, he's financing it. Obviously he's the subject of it. Is he also the director of it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's making it. Um, huh. that's, that's the understanding is there. It's, he, he's doing it about himself, hmm. which that's, has there been a documentary where the, the director made the documentary about a subject for themselves. I don't recall any offhand. Um, seems like usually, yeah, like I mean, there's biopics which wouldn't be that case, but then documentaries about directed by themselves. I, none come to I mind. I can't think of one. There may be one out there, I'm sure, yeah, but I I can't think of one offhand that would be like that. No, and especially one that is really good. I'm sure there have been. We're just not, but like a really good example of this, like a, a people respect the film. I can't think of any offhand. So yeah. that is, that is interesting. I see it is. Yeah. Kind of tough subject matter, but it is a very interesting thing. Well, the thing to is see he, he's strong. never oh, so tough. He's never faced criminal charges for any of these things that have happened. I mean, it, yeah. And that's not to say it didn't happen. I'm saying, right. We don't know. Right. Yeah. Obviously if he's, guilty of the crimes that he's been accused of and those things happen that, uh, you know, then absolutely would, that's, that's no good. And I, I don't need to see him, him, any film project from him, right? but him making a documentary to kind of exonerate himself, I think is, I think it's a fascinating concept just whether it's warranted, whether it works or not. I don't know. So yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I, Brian Singer is an interesting case for me. Cause I, I, you know, here's someone who, he was never a director that just, you know, never got the awards, never made like masterpiece films. But he did. And if you look back, the X-Men films, those first X-Men films he did kind of set the path for what we've got today. I mean, mm-hmm. I think honestly, if those didn't exist, I don't know if the uh, superhero line landscape that has dominated the box office for the last 10 years would be right. would be as strong. Um and Usual Suspects was a really, really good movie. It was. Um, but A, is a shame to see him kind of spiral out of control as a director and get losing projects. It's very disturbing if the allegations about him and his uh, sexual assault issues are true. Obviously, that's a, a, a real problem. Um, but we'll, I, we'll just have to wait and see. The, the, the uh, public opinion, court of public opinion, uh, I think is probably going to be open on this here pretty soon, especially if he does get this documentary made and gets it out for people to see it's just going to be very interesting very very interesting yeah yeah Hmm. so that was kind of the news items i had against news is a little slow these days there's not a whole lot of information we're like in the thick of the summer you know uh the summer season the big blockbusters are rolling out we don't really hear a lot about films that will be coming out later in the year quite yet 
that will be happening soon. But I know we are expecting quite a, a good number of films to come out by the end of the year that I'm looking forward to. But um, light on the news side, but that's what we've got. So you got anything? No, 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 yeah. no, I do not. We're all good. Well, that was what we wanted to talk about here. We're, again, we're trying to do these episodes a little shorter, just kind of hit a main review and then kind of talk a little bit about some other things happening in the movie world. So that is what we've got for you today. And we'll, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was going to say, if you are aware of some movie news that you would like for us to share on the show, send us an email to info at footcandle.org and let us know, hey, next episode, why don't you talk about this news item and we'll research it and uh, try to talk about it. Yeah. Um, also, you can follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. Al and I are both on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing. Give us a star rating, write a review, share friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on. It'll help us reach new listeners. We appreciate it. And I will throw in a plug for the 2023 Foot Candle Film Festival, which is happening September 15th through the 24th. We'll be in Hickory, Western North Carolina. So if you're in the area, we'd love to have you come visit us. All right. That sounds good. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode. We will be back next week with another episode, another review. So look forward to that. And in the meantime, uh, we will just uh, plan to talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.